You're listening to the Psalm Cast, learning to pray with and through the Word. I'm Pastor Ollie Berg. It's good for us to be here. Psalm 1 kicks off the whole Psalter. It's the Psalm with pride of place, the first one someone may ever read, the first experience someone might ever have with the entire concept of a Psalm. If you were to pick up one of those pocket New Testaments with the Psalms attached, maybe ones that the Gideons hand out, and you were to open up the Psalms to page one, you would find this Psalm. And it's a weird Psalm, people. It begins the Psalms of David, but it isn't attributed to David. In fact, it doesn't even seem to be a prayer like all the other Psalms are. It it could almost more be a proverb. But when you read it, you realize it's an invitation to the righteous life. It's a beatitude to the lover of God's word. And really, truly, it's a way to meditate on Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to look at Psalm 1. We're going to see what it says to us on its own terms when we read it, just like a passage of the Bible, but also what it says to us when we claim it as our very own prayer. But also, because it's such a special psalm, we're going to see how it gets us ready to experience the rest of the Psalter. So let's hear Psalm 1 and what it has to say to us. Psalm 1. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's talk about what we just heard. Psalm 1 has a simple message. Happy is the one who studies the Torah of the Lord. The psalmist sends this message with an analogy and a couple of antitheses. The opposite of someone who delights in the Torah is someone who A, walks in the counsel of the wicked, B, stands like a sinner, and C, sits in the seat of scoffers. To put it in other words, it's someone who doesn't do what the Torah says. Psalm 1 says, don't be a Torah hater, be someone who delights in it, because if you delight in it, you will have happiness. Martin Luther actually has a really interesting point about delight in this psalm. When he reads it, he says, When we delight in something, we are coming towards it from a place of total freedom. The person who delights in the teaching, in the Torah, in the word of the Lord, is someone who has come to this word by freedom, not by coercion. Think about it. Are you delighting in something when you're forced to do it? No, you come to it with freedom in your heart. This person, then, this delighter in the law of the Lord, is someone who has their freedom through faith so that they can look at this word of God with delight and not a heaviness and a burden in their hearts. 
The one who delights in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night, the psalm says they're like a tree planted by a stream. They've got plenty of water. They're healthy. They're producing fruit. In fact, it uses this Hebrew verb shatul, which is not the ordinary term when we want to say a tree planted. What it really means is well-rooted. Jewish scholar Nahum Sarna says that the midrash on this verb all talks about how the winds of this world could blast this tree and it would still be found standing. That's how well-rooted it is. That's how good the roots are. The roots of this tree are so strong, the psalm actually continues the simile using horticultural language, although you probably don't hear it. It's that line, in all that they do, they prosper. That's a tree prospering. That maybe we would say a tree flowering or blooming. Uh, I'm not a horticulturist, so really I shouldn't be the one talking about it. But really what they're saying is, it's prospering. It's a tree prospering. Yet we also know, we know that this simile is talking about the Torah lover. In all that the lover of the word does, they prosper. And that makes sense because God knows their way. God wrote their way. Why wouldn't they be prospering? Okay, so we have this prospering language. But then the psalm shifts. A whole lot of this psalm is dedicated to the opposite of the Torah student, summarized as the wicked. So it begins with this poetic parallelism. And a parallelism is when you say the same thing in a couple of different ways in order to really make a point. And the Psalms use it all the time. So it begins with a parallelism of the three modes a person can be in. You could be walking, standing, or sitting. Blessed is the one who is not walking like a sinner, standing like a sinner, sitting like a sinner. Right? Blessed is the one who has nothing to do with the wicked in any way, shape, or form. And it uses that parallelism to make that point. You want to stay away from it. No, just be a delighter in the Torah. So then it shifts to this image of the strong tree. But what are the wicked like? The wicked are like chaff that is easily blown away. Chaff is the hard and dry stuff that covers the fruit of the wheat. And after you harvest it, if once it's a little bit dry, you can throw your wheat in the air and it just blows away. It's useless stuff, stuff that you don't need. It could be that the wicked are like chaff, that really causes the turn in this psalm. So think about it. You've got verse 5 where it says that the wicked will not stand in judgment or in the congregation of the righteous. That's some more parallelism there, just saying the same thing in kind of opposite ways. Maybe what they're saying is that wickedness is fleeting. The law is eternal. The law will bring you to that judgment day where wickedness, it's like chaff. It floats away. It blows away. It's easily gotten rid of. You don't need it. But then it gives us our first textual question. Looking at that same verse, okay, verse 5, we have a therefore. What does it refer to? I know this might not seem interesting to you, but actually it kind of helps us read this psalm in a really cool way. Usually when we think of therefores, we're referring to what has just come before it, right? I think this, therefore, blah, blah, blah. 
But medieval Jewish rabbi Rashi believes the therefore actually connects this verse with verse 6, which I think makes a whole lot of sense. And if that's the case, we got to read verses 5 and 6 flip-flop. Let me do that for you. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So however you read it, the message is clear. Be happy. Study the Torah. Don't be wicked. It's short-sighted. God knows the way of the righteous. In fact, God's walking on that way with you. That's the way that you got to go. And it all begins when you start to delight in the Torah. If the Psalms were any other Bible passage, we might just be done with our study of it, right? We would read it, study it. Maybe we'd say a prayer and say, God, help me be someone that likes to study the word. But that would sort of be it. The Psalms, however, are meant to be put in our mouths. We need to pray these prayers too. And when we do, one, it changes how we experience them what they might mean when we claim them as our own. And it means that the Psalms, which are the word of God to us because they're scripture, become our words to God. So when we pray this Psalm, the first thing that happens is we make a judgment about the ways of life. We're saying, God, there are two ways, the way of the student and the way of the wicked. One way leads to happiness. And so to me, this brings up two challenges. The first is simply, uh, why the heck does God care? God knows this. He knows that there's only one good way and the rest of the ways are bad. Heck, I mean, the psalm itself says that God knows the way of the righteous. I think when we pray this psalm, we are living into a truth that might be obvious but easy to miss. God wants to hear God's children being wise, stating the truth. I mean, think about it. We need more of that in the world. How often do we not say the wise and true thing because we don't want to ruffle feathers, because we don't want to seem judgmental? We might just let our preachers do that on Sunday morning or or let those people on TV do it. But this psalm isn't just meant for the famous, for the preachers, for those that are given institutional power. No, this psalm is for everybody. Everybody's invited to call a thing what it is. God wants to hear you say that wickedness is fleeting and delighting in the law is what it's all about. But you might have another challenge, especially if you're a Protestant Christian like me. See, often we make a big deal out of the fact that we're sinners. I'm just a sinner, you might say. And in fact, one of the famous Lutheran catchphrases is this phrase, simultaneously saint and sinner. It's popular. There's an entire podcast just called Saint and Sinner. We've got t-shirts. Everybody's got a t-shirt like it. But I wonder if it's so popular because the last word is sinner. We let the last word just be sinner. And we are comfortable being sinners. We're comfortable with that identity. But this prayer asks us to denounce sinners, to denounce sin and praise righteousness, which is also asked of us in our baptisms. 
So it's true that we're always sinners, but it's also true that we're forgiven sinners, that we're made righteous because of the work of Jesus, that we enter into this prayer with that freedom Christ has given us. So we can be strong enough. We can be righteous and say, sin's a bad thing. Wickedness is fleeting. It's not the way we ought to be. When we put Psalm 1 on our lips, we are speaking a beatitude to the one who delights in the word of the Lord, which raises a question. Who is the one who delights in God's Torah? Who is the one who meditates on it day and night? It's true, that could be me and you, but these inspired words invite us to ponder someone who fulfills them so perfectly that we can even say this person fulfilled the entire law, Jesus Christ. He can meditate on it day and night because he's the one who neither slumbers nor sleeps. In fact, Luther makes an interesting point. If you read the psalm in Hebrew, it says, happy is the man. Now, we translate this in a more general tone because that's what it likely meant. You know, you know, man, it used to be the word for all of humankind. But Luther points out that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the man. He is the one the creeds call truly God and truly human. What we see in Jesus is the recapitulation of humanity. He is the one human. He is the one that we are all entering into to become human in a true sin-free way. So when we pray this psalm, we are getting invited into the joy of the Lord. It's literally putting happiness and delight on our lips and pointing us to the revelation we see of God in the word and to the person who fulfills that word. Through the saying of this psalm, we begin to put down roots into the word that will help us find joy that never withers. I want to close with something I said at the beginning, that Psalm 1 is a preface to the entire book of Psalms. But if you read it on its own, you might not get that. I mean, it's a standalone poem. It says something on its own terms. But when we put it at the front, when we put it in the context of the Psalms, it tells us something more. When we look at the shape of the Psalter, it's organized into five books. And people much smarter than me will tell you that it wasn't originally written as five books. That some kind of editor contrived this thing to help us view the Psalter through the lens of the Torah, the five books of Moses. And it makes sense. Ancient students of the scripture were known to memorize the Torah and the David. That means the Psalms. So Psalm 1's meditation on the student of the law is one reason we might expect it to be a kind of Torah, but also the way the psalm begins. How does it begin? Happy is the one. How does the Torah end? The very last verse of Deuteronomy, that is the last verse of the law, begins, Happy are you, O Israel. So just like a sequel of a movie might start off right where the first one ended, the Psalms begin where the Torah ends. 
Nahum Sarna, I mentioned him earlier, he also argues this, and he notes that the Ten Commandments begin with, I am the Lord your God, and they end with the very last word being, your neighbor. And here the psalm begins with our neighbor, the student of the Bible. And the psalms end with praises to the Lord. Hallelujah is the very last psalm, 150. It's all about praising God. So it prepares us to begin to read the Torah of David. And I think David's Torah is a Torah of the heart. You know, the scriptures say that David was a man like God's heart. And so we get this kind of internal look at who David is, or at least who the editors say David is. And in this way, the spirit, I think, is trying to help us get into the heart of the one whose heart is like God's. So here we begin a beautiful journey to God, and it all begins with Psalm 1. So as you go through the Psalms, remember that delight is the first word. Even when we're wrestling with these terrible Psalms that are full of anger and spite, it doesn't matter because it begins with that freedom, that love that we have, that delight in God's word. And as we pour out our hearts to God, we can always begin the way that the Torah ends. Happy are you. Happy is the one. Happy is the one who studies the word of the Lord.